the team captain may not be the best player on the team, but they know how to motivate their players by leveraging their individual strengths to accomplishing a team goal. And I think at work, that is something that not only should be the way that teams function, but it also brings people together on a level that's indescribable at times. Welcome to the Court to Corporate podcast. I'm your host, Kirby Porter. On this show, we sit down with current and former athletes to discuss their personal playbooks and dive deeper into how it has translated into success and lessons outside the game and in the business world. You can find this podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at courttocorporate.com. Court to Corporate is all about amplifying the journey of athletes in corporate America and showcasing how your athletic influence can serve to build your path. Stay up to date with more content and perspectives across all of our social platforms. These will be linked in the show notes or they can be found on our website. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. What's up? Welcome back to this week's episode. Before we hop into today's guest, I want to share a quick update on this side. So for those that have been following since day one, I'm sure you've seen the athlete spotlights that we do, or maybe you've actually been a contributor. But either way, for those that are not familiar, these spotlights are really what they sound like. It's a platform for both current and former to share out their lessons from the game and the strategies that they apply. So whether it's their own written perspective or it's with different prompts, like, you know, what what is your advice to your younger athlete self or how did you first identify your passions beyond the game? The list goes on. But we are revamping this to a perspective playbook, if you will, um, on our website to get into even further detail and create that space for more tools to be shared beyond the podcast. So three things. One, keep an eye out because it's coming soon. And um, number two, in the spirit of casting a wide net, if you're a current or former athlete that is actually listening to this right now, and this feels like something that you would want to be a part of and share your personal playbook, reach out. So contact us on the website or DM us on Twitter or Instagram, whatever is easiest. I'll link all three in the below. Um, but yeah, just shoot us a note. You want, you want all the athletes. <laughs> and um, last thing is that somehow it's already almost the end of the month. So that means our newsletter is coming back for round two, bigger and better. So sign up for that mailing list to actually be the first to receive. Okay, so on to today's guest. So our guest is Corey Bain, and I'm super excited to share this conversation because Corey and I went to school together. So it was just great to catch up and and you can hear that in the conversation. But Leading up to what you will hear, Corey actually sent me this article before we connected, and it's called Lessons from the Field, um, which is an article written on LinkedIn by Jen Fisher, who's the chief well-being officer at Deloitte. And so the piece itself is all about what we can learn from the U.S. women's national soccer team. The top line is that we often talk about and prioritize and really hone in on all the individual traits that are true that we gain from being an athlete. So the tools and the intangibles and the skill sets that we carry at an individual level. But to her point, there's even more that we can learn from sports and being an athlete around the importance of 
building relationships. And what she shares is that the starting point of building meaningful connections, whether it's in the office or on the field, ultimately leads to us finding meaning in what we do, improving engagement, and creating a sense of belonging. So as we get into this episode, Corey shares that this piece is actually exactly how she feels about the lessons that she learned from volleyball. So from growing up with the game to Harvard Volleyball, where she was a two-time captain, two-time Ivy League champ, to now being a product manager at Thrive Global, one thing has remained consistent, and that's that she has really put relationships at the value of how she moves and acts as a leader early on into her career. So as we walk through her journey today, we talk about the mentality that she brought from a two-time captain to a product manager that has allowed her to act as a leader, even at a junior level. We then move on to how you can act on building meaningful relationships in the workplace and finish off with a really important topic of navigating mentorship. For Corey, this is something that she notes has been a really pivotal part in navigating her career in the early stages in the tech industry. So we'll be talking about tips from how to seek mentors all the way to really cultivating that relationship. So with all of that said, here's our conversation. I'm currently a product manager at Thrive Global, which is a wellness startup founded by Ariana Huffington in her new journey to ending the stress and burnout epidemic. I was a collegiate athlete. I played volleyball in college and I attribute the majority of the things I do both in co-working and colleague relationships and goal-setting achievement-oriented work to my days in sports. I played volleyball from age 10 to 22 and I still continue to value so many of the lessons I learned as a volleyball player but also a student athlete at Harvard and I know for a fact I will take all those with me for the rest of my life. Absolutely. And that's a great segue to actually where I want to start. Um, We'll get to your journey, obviously, but I want to start with the article that you sent me, Lessons from the Field, um, an article written by Jen Fisher, the Chief Wellbeing Officer at Deloitte. And she wrote a piece on what we can learn from the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. And she actually brought um, a great point to, to the top of my mind in that, like, when we talk about the lessons from the game that apply um, and, and, you know, why athletes are so valuable, I feel like it always does focus on the individualistic ones, like grit and persistence and, you know, ability to see projects through completion, um, the list goes on. But to her point, there's so much more value in what we can learn about sports from a building relationships standpoint. Um, and I quote, what she says in here is that building meaningful connection in the office or in the field helps us find meaning in what we do and improves engagement and it creates a sense of belonging. So first, thank you for sending me the article. It was a great read. And second, what was your gut reaction to this piece? Yeah, so lessons from the field was pretty much exactly how I feel about the lessons I've learned from the court for me. And I actually saw this in the context of one of my coworkers who works with Jen on a deal that Thrive has with them. 
and I see that she's the chief well-being officer. And for her to attribute the lessons that she's referencing in the piece to a sport was something that is actually rare in my eyes that people don't always reflect on the lessons sport te- sports teach and more so on the stereotype that athletes can get at times. So I really appreciated a high powered career woman recognizing the fact that the women's world cup team has really made a huge impact um, that could be applied to somewhere that is extremely corporate. And I don't think that that link commonly exists in, in the media. So I was, Generally speaking, I was just really excited to see a piece written about the link between sports and the corporate world. Yeah, and like even for you personally, when when she was talking about ways of working, um, you know, from from I think you know you've been in some like startup environments where you're more easily able to like replicate that team um, feel, I would say. And so, has there been any specific carryover for you in terms of you know your ways of working? Um, as a teammate to, you know, being in that startup environment now? Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that my job is comparable to is a product manager is essentially a captain of a team. And captain in the sense that you're not in a power position, but more of a, you wear a lot of hats of responsibility And I think that's similar to what a captain does. Um, And like Jen says, the team captain may not be the best player on the team, but they know how to motivate their players by leveraging their individual strengths to accomplishing a team goal. And I think at work, that is something that not only should be the way that teams function, um, working towards a common goal and really leveraging each teammate members, team members strengths along the way, but it also brings people together on a level that's indescribable at times. I think my relationships with my teammates from both college and high school and then club as well are the, some of the closest relationships I have because of what we shared, which was really, truly blood, sweat, tears towards a common goal. And I, at times at work, I crave that bond because I do think it can exist at teams and it has existed on my teams before project to project but there's something about sports that there's no question that that's what you're working towards and it's probably because it's less of a um, complicated end goal and you know, it's more of a, we strive to win or we strive to make it to this tournament or whatever it is. And I think the best leaders really lay it out very clearly. And every team member knows how they can contribute to getting to that place. Absolutely. And I think to your point, what you just mentioned and, and being in product management, um, when you're at that core, you really are kind of viewed as the quarterback or the captain of how the project is moved along from whether that be from charter to launch or, or, you know, whatever your process may be. I'm interested to hear more about, you know, coming out of your senior year, you were a two-year captain at Harvard. 
you were in a leadership position for two years where, you know, you were tasked with building relationships, depending on how, how you view um, what a successful captainship is. But I think a lot of it, to your point, has to do with building relationships. How did you then bring that same mentality and what you did at a team level to now entering the workforce at more so of a junior level, right? When you first start off, totally. what were some ways that you, that you still tried to kind of implement that way of thinking? So it's so funny. I, I do think it doesn't truly matter what your age is or your seniority. And I think on a team, typically you're not a captain until your latter two years of college. And I was even pretty young to be a captain my junior year. But I think being a main contributor to the team from freshman through senior year gave me a really good idea as to how it would be when I'm the youngest employee always in the room. And at a startup specifically, the leadership team is hiring for the most part for leads of teams. So junior positions are few and far between. I'm by far the youngest in the San Francisco office, yet I feel very highly respected And I think one value that I recommend a lot of people practice coming from a sport or if you didn't have the luxury of being in a sport is make your teammates feel important. And that doesn't matter if you're the lowest level or if you're captain or boss or whatever it is, because if if your teammate feels valued and knows their part, then they're going to innately want to contribute to you and then to whatever the team motive is. And I think at Harvard, I really tried to instill that in my teammates. I, there are only six players on the court at once, meaning there's up to 10 on the bench. And I think making the bench players feel as valued in the whole team dynamic as those that are as the all-star player is extremely important and truly making them feel valued, not just trying to do it for that team outcome, but really recognizing what it is that they bring and tapping into that strength is huge. I saw one of my, one of my teammates, Michaela, who was injured her entire, pretty much her entire career at Harvard was a captain with me and that was because her presence on the sidelines was an integral part of our success as a team. And we won the Ivy league twice while I was there. And I, I attribute a lot of that to her because of the inspiration and um, in-depth analysis she would provide on the bench. And that's very similar in the workplace. I mean, if someone might feel like they're not maybe the loudest in the room, but they could possibly be almost the secret weapon in a project because they're able to look at something through a different lens. And there's something to be said for recruiting for a very diverse set of um, eyes and ears. But ultimately, as as a leader, whether or not you're in a junior position or older, just making people feel loved, it's really is how I see it every day and, and walking into your office and smiling and saying good morning to everyone and not making 
your day-to-day transaction, but rather living in that moment of walking in the office and seeing everyone. I mean, you're lucky to be at the company you're at and working with the people you work with and making those, making the time to really get to know your coworkers is huge. A hundred percent. I think the biggest point that you just made right there at the end is that it's not transactional. It's about relationship building. And I think it's always the people that take the time, right? They take the time to go beyond whatever the deliverable is that you guys need to work through to get together. They also bake in that time to actually get to know you, to actually, you know, want to stay and think beyond what just the scope of the project is and and build that one-to-one relationship. So 100%. Kind of shifting to when you were an intern for Ariana Huffington while you were an undergrad um, to now working at Thrive. Can you just share more on what your relationship and her mentorship has meant to your career? Yeah, absolutely. So my journey with Ariana began when I read Thrive, her book, in 2015. And I was completely inspired by the concept of taking care of your body, heart, and mind. And to me, that was a key part of being a successful volleyball player. I had to sleep well every night. I had to be eating well. And I I truly had to be in a headspace where I could improve on a daily basis at practice. So her, her message in Thrive really resonated with me. And I was lucky enough to, to bring this up to a mentor I had at Harvard. And she happened to know Ariana's chief of staff at the time. His name was Dan. And um, let me have an initial conversation with him. And I got along really well with him and I was asked to come in and interview for an internship which I did and I really was interested in working for someone like Ariana not only at her level of leadership but also being a female in the workplace and writing a book that resonated so well with me so I jumped into it and I worked at Huffington Post for the summer as a intern on her team, which is basically um, a role where I researched companies and people she'd meet with. And then we would discuss kind of the takeaways from whatever I could find about that person and the place they worked. And it was identifying business opportunities, both alongside her and um, doing the research necessary to inform her. And I, most importantly, what I got out of that summer was forming a relationship with her. I felt immediately a kind of a natural connection and I'm really calm around people of power. Mostly, I think that has to do with the fact that I'm a relatively um, low-key person and mellow but also I grew up in the entertainment world and my dad works in entertainment so celebrities didn't have that effect on me that they have on many and I think she likes that kind of um, calm interaction that we would always share so at the end of the summer I walked into her office and asked her if I could work at Thrive because Thrive was becoming a real, a real business idea that summer. And then she transitioned from CEO of Huffington Post to CEO of Thrive. 
that fall. And I had expressed that I wanted to, that I, I asked if I could work there. And I ended up doing a fellowship between my senior year and my graduation to figure out what role would best serve me and the company. And I found that working on our team again would be both best for the company and myself. So because I was mostly familiar with her and she was comfortable with me on her team. So it worked out. And then I joined Thrive Global in September after I graduated and continued the role that I did as an intern, but took on more responsibilities as I was older and had the three months under my belt of interning for her. So um, I had a really unique position where I spent a lot of FaceTime with Ariana and she kind of developed into a work mom. She would joke that she was my work mom. Um, And that was a pretty unbelievable relationship to share with her because I did feel a sense of family in her. Um, And one of her, or one of her favorite things to do is to help her employees progress in a career path that they have put a lot of thought that they may want to segue into, whether that's growing in their current role or, or switching to another thing that they think they would be interested in. And my time came around where I was ready to expand my career and had, I had heard about product management. I was under the interpretation that product management in tech required some sort of technical background, which is not true, but Um, product management is still a relatively new role as of the last, I think, five to 10 years. So it's, it's becoming more known that a technical background is actually not required, but I, you know, Ariana, it was a pretty special moment. She rolled up next to me in my desk and was like, now that we're hiring more on my team, I am wondering if you're interested in expanding your role at Thrive. And then I had been thinking about how to talk to her about wanting to get into product management. And I just, it was one of those moments where I was really nervous, but needed to put myself out there and ask if I could transition into the product management role that I wanted. And um, she was super receptive. And that's probably one of my favorite things about her as a mentor is she's open to ideas that you might even think yourself are crazy, but she wants to make it happen for you, for the people that she really cares about. And that was the beginning of the journey towards the role I'm in today. And um, we had a few follow-up conversations about how we can make it happen. And ultimately we hired the, our chief product officer to start up this office in San Francisco and that opportunity arose, but she said to me, would you move to San Francisco? And I said, I'd be open to it. And then we talked more and more and it made sense for me to move to San Francisco and help basically form the product and engineering team that we have today. So I, I came out here, worked out of a WeWork with our chief product officer Yardley, who became a huge mentor to me in the product management world. She started women in product. She's a huge figure in the product management world in Silicon Valley. And um, we started putting up post-it notes of a team we were going to build and recruited. And now we have around 20 to 25 people on the product and engineering team 
and some of the best talent in the area, which is a very competitive space. So I'm super proud of both the courage I had to approach Ariana and then also kind of the perseverance to move to a new place with a role that I didn't quite know what would entail, but I knew I should try it. And I had the support of Ariana and Yardley to mentor, I mean, basically two of the best female mentors out there um, to help me into the role I'm in today. And I feel like I was really set up for success in that sense because it was a very clear career path I wanted to go down. And now I'm very heavily in the product management world and I love it. And I think I will continue to be in this world for a, a long time. Thanks to the, the belief that Ariana had in me from when I was a junior in college. To that point, you know, a lot of people have questions about mentorship, right? How do I find a mentor? Where should I be looking to, uh, for one? And once you get there, I, to, to what you just said, it's not like you're just selected and your mentor is like, all right, let's go. Where do you want to go? Have your pick. Um, there's relationship building and work in there to, to what you just mentioned and how you knew when to put yourself out there and when to ask for opportunity. Do you have any advice to others based on your experience with, with Ariana and um, leaders at Thrive as well on how to continue to build relationships with mentors to advance your career? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll first address the point you made about finding a mentor. I think in a lot of ways, I was really lucky having the people I did around me to help build, build me up. And I will continue to look for mentors And my, my mentality and something that I've learned that is actually came to a surprise, came to me as a surprise is that people are extremely willing to help you build your own career, especially if you're a female looking to another female in either an industry you're in or even like a position that you would want to be in one day. Um, Also males. I think, I think the older generation really wants to help cultivate our generation. And although it can be intimidating, just asking people, tell me a little bit about your story or what was, what was your life like when you were 25 or whatever a question is that pretty much every human can relate to. Everyone likes to talk about themselves and also it's everyone likes to help other people. That's just our human nature. And I think that initial um, desire to put yourself out there and ask someone for just an informational chat, you do not have to be asking for a job. most of the time you will get people's time Um, and it'll come to a surprise, come to you as a surprise. Moral of the story, don't be afraid to ask because likely you'll, you'll get more um, feedback than you would expect. And then in terms of maintaining a relationship and continuing to build it, I think it's kind of similar along those lines of when you feel comfortable with a person continuing to ask them questions about what they did when they were your age, or what would you do in this situation? Do you have advice for me on this project as I'm facing this challenge? I think just thinking through the questions ahead of time, when you talk to a mentor are really important. I don't think you ever want to be in a situation where they're like, do you have any questions for me? And then you haven't thought through any. Um, And I think just have 
really valuing the personal relationship that you share with them is key. Again, it goes back to just asking them how their family is and really at the root of it, caring how, how they're doing as well, because it's not like anyone has their life perfectly figured out anyway. So I'm sure they have stuff they'd like to talk about and you just can become a friendship more than anything. I think that's even just consistent in what we were talking about earlier and how you should approach or at least try to approach building relationships in the office. And it starts with not viewing it as transactional. It's not what can this mentor do for me. It's, it's a two way thing. Um, And it's about just building the relationship from a genuine space. Yeah. And I think one more, one more piece of advice I have that I've really tried to practice over the last six months is I work a lot with our leadership um, of the engineering team. And although at times it can be daunting to, to ask the lead backend engineer who, you know, at our company, she used to work at Netflix and she created the um, recommendation algorithm. Like these people are extremely good at what they do, but if you just put yourself out, we kind of have an up being, the age we are because saying you want to learn and and saying you have some questions for them and would like to schedule a one-on-one and just get to know them, I think is something that has like advanced me beyond belief because I've learned so much from them. And then they are aware of the position I'm in when I work with them further down the line. It's more of like, Oh yeah, I have a foundational understanding of what, um, the way that Corey works and what she's trying to get out of this. So I'll approach the situation in this way. And I find one-on-ones are extremely helpful for those kinds of relationship forming practices. Exactly. The little things. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Thrive Global. What yeah. do you do? And I know people hate that question, but what do you do? No, <laughs> and um, how does how does your product differ for individuals versus companies? Great question. So Thrive Global is a behavioral change company, and our mission is to end the stress and burnout epidemic. We have many different avenues in which we deliver the content that is built by our editorial team, and. One of those is live workshops where we have facilitators go in to corporations for the most part and train cohorts of people on some are honestly, some of the stuff we're talking about, which is like, how do you make yourself a better employee? Um, How do you cultivate relationships? How do you bring your whole self to work? And then another part of our business is brand media deals. And then the one that we're in charge of here in San Francisco, and we have some engineers, both remote and in New York, are building a behavioral change platform um, with many different products. So a product suite. I personally work for the most part on our app, which right now is available only to companies to buy. But we designed the app as a as if an employee is using it. So we do design it. It's kind of B to B to C, which means um, we're designing it to be bought by employers, but ultimately it'll be in the hands of employees. And what it does is it's a place for you to go 
to find bite-sized information as to how you can improve your life on a daily basis at work, both at work and at home. But we focus on sleep, productivity, and connection, which are a lot of things I've actually talked about today in this, in this conversation. And um, we have a, a concept called a micro step, which is basically a too small to fail tip that you can practice for a given amount of time. And our goal is to turn that into a habit. And the more and more micro steps you're able to um, make into habits, hopefully the more and more you'll become able to really take care of yourself on a daily basis and not be as stressed out or not lead to burnout. Um, And then the other component of the app is content. And that is all written by our editorial team in New York. And that is Ariana's specialty coming from the Huffington Post. And I think the right now, the market for content that has to do with well wellness and taking care of yourself and um, taking time away from your phone or whatever it is, is really desired. I think that's a huge shift that we've seen recently. And um, it's the reason that Headspace and Calm and all of these meditation and or um, health apps are doing really well. And we are trying to have a more holistic view on how we can help employers improve their employees' experiences, both in their companies and at home. And I personally am a product manager on the app, which means I work with designers and engineers to bring features to life to what our users can see. And the ideation behind that comes from juggling a lot of stakeholders' desires. Both the stakeholders can be the users themselves, or they can be executives in our company, or they could be investors, or they can be us. And prioritizing that work and um, then executing and taking that into what is released on our app is my role. As a product manager, you're, you're, you're close to the technology, you're close to the consumer. How has your work impacted you? Before you mentioned your, your, you, even as an athlete, you valued the importance of your body and heart and mind as it tied to your performance um, and, and being a contributor for mm-hmm. four years now, what are what are some techniques that you have implemented in your personal life? Well, I'm proud to say I'm still known in my office as one of the biggest thrivers. That's what we call the people that <laughs> practice what we preach. Um, and that 100% has to do with my value in movement. I think um, for me, transitioning from a collegiate athlete scholar athlete to the office was really difficult. Um, I, you know, sitting at a desk all day is not at all natural and or good for us. So I think practicing ways that can help me feel myself because I am a very active, moving, creative person um, have really helped me. And I have to say Thrive Global is extremely supportive of that given a lot of it feeds directly into our mission. So we have standing desks and I take a lot of one-on-ones on on walks. Um, I'm notorious for 
being a little bit of a fast walker in those. And I don't like returning my colleagues sweating, but it really does break up your day and help. Um, if you're having a conversation that doesn't require video chat and or computer, I think it's really helpful to just be creative and walk and talk and then get back to the office and write down whatever you need. But um, for the most part, I really focus on my sleep. Ariana wrote The Sleep Revolution as a sequel to Thrive. And that was because sleep is just such a huge part, not only just in athletics, but in life for recovering and um, resting really your brain and everything you've digested that day to be as productive as possible the next day. So sleep is key for me. And then what feeds into that is eating well and then also exercising. And exercising has changed. My definition of that has changed a lot since I used to be an athlete. I used to think I had to like kill myself in every single workout I did. <laughs> um, and I've learned. Out here struggling, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I've learned that that's actually just not really sustainable and not great for our bodies. So um, I'm a huge believer and practicer of yoga and then just really walking and running. I think like really mellow day-to-day things keep me feeling the healthiest and ultimately just listening to my body. I'm lucky that I'm really in touch with my body, but I think um, all of it feeds into each other. I think mental health is a huge issue these days and um, releasing endorphins and also getting enough sleep and then really taking care of the things that are bugging you down to your core. I think there's a huge um, value in listening to your gut. And if a relationship is bothering you or if something at work is making you uncomfortable, bringing it up as soon as you can is the healthiest way to go about it because it's not good for us to hold things in and get stressed out and then it just leads to bigger blowups later. So those are kind of the things I live by. Um, very much attributed to my life in volleyball, but also what I've learned outside of my sport. And I'd love to close out um, with just some words of wisdom, of course. Um, I'd love to hear from you just generally, what was the most unexpected barrier for you um, in your transition to the real world? And what would be your advice to athletes that may encounter the same thing along their path? Oh, I love this question. I'm glad you're talking to me now versus a year out of school. So (laughs) (laughs) things change a little bit. My biggest learning lesson that I've had after graduating and kind of leaving a life behind that I used to live, which was a student athlete, is striving for perfectionism can be really exhausting and actually not the best way to approach life after college. I do think that a lot of us that are achievement oriented do strive for that, but my eyes have been open to the multitude of different paths that are not only just okay, but pretty amazing that we can all follow. And we don't even know where it's going to go. So I think being okay with following a path that might feel a little strange or daunting is 100% okay. And then also just accepting the fact that things are going to happen. And the most important thing to do with the unpredictability of your twenties is to learn how to react and how to let things go. Um, 
And I would advise having an open mind and then just taking everything with a grain of salt and not so seriously is super important. All right. Thanks for listening into this episode. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. Stay connected. Leave us a comment on Apple podcast, DM us or contact us on our website, whatever is easiest. We want to know your feedback and what questions you have. Otherwise, we'll be back soon with more athletes, more perspectives and more pro tips on the way.